<laughs> Hello there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for 21 Jump Street. My name is Tom Chick, and I have here with me, uh, let's see, Christian Marlski. It's Paul Blart, Molly Cop. <laughs> and with a 21 Jump Street tagline, I hope, Kelly Wand. Uh, let me check out your pest. <laughs> Can you do that sexier, Kelly Wand? Yeah, watch. Let me check out your pest. Hot. So hot. <laughs> that one goes right out to Ellie Kemper. Just the second one. The first one was kind of... Uh, that was for the rest of us. Androgynous. Yeah, sorry. Uh, now, before we spoil anything about 21 Jump Street, because maybe you haven't seen it, we don't know for sure. We've all seen it, and we're going to be spoiling a little bit. But before we do that, Dingus, what is this 21 Jump Street thing? Did we just sit down and watch an old TV show? What what happened this past week? I'm confused. Week? Yeah, what have we just done, Dingus? Why don't what you, are we? Without any spoilers, why don't you fill in, folks, on what, what just happened? All right, well, this week we saw 21 Jump Street, a 2012 mm-hmm. American action bromantic comedy movie <laughs> about two cops who go undercover to bust a high school drug ring. Mm. The movie was directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller and written by Michael Bacall, based on the TV show by Stephen J. Cannell and Patrick Hasberg. It stars Channing Tatum, Jonah Hill, Brie Larson, Dave Franco, and Rob Riggle. 21 Jump Street is rated R. Mm. Mm. For crude and sexual content, pervasive language, drug material, teen drinking, and some violence. Only adults can watch teen drinking. That's the rule. Sadly, nudity is not in that list. No. Oh, Dingus is bummed that Channing Tatum didn't take his shirt off, it sounds like. Well, they bitched us out of a sex scene, it looks like, from the end credits. I don't uh, save it for the... Sorry, uh, spoiler. Uh, yeah, yeah, spoiler, yeah. though. Uh, uh, no uh, one comes here to... Uh, aren't you glad you stuck around for the credits, Kelly Wand? Unlike, say, The Grey, where you left early. I stuck around to the after the credits, and you know what happened? I felt dumb and left. <laughs> That's the last time I'm doing it. From now on, I don't give a fuck what the Easter egg is. But you know what, though, Kelly Wan, weren't there other people in the theater who also stuck around? No, and did you guys? Only- you were the only one, so nobody saw that. So if you hadn't confessed this, you would have gotten away scot-free. It but was now, all young so- Canadians, and they all seemed to like the movie, and they were all, yeah, it was pretty good, eh? And then I'm like, but they didn't give a shit about the Easter eggs. And, I'm like, and then they left, and you were the only guy left. So- right. They won I- twice. I lost twice. As if you still lived in L.A. People don't do that in, in Canada, Kelly Wand. Uh, do they so, even have Easter in Canada? That's true. That's a good point. Easter. Uh, so let's see. 21 Jump Street uh, had a phenomenally successful opening. It actually beat that silly Lorax movie. Uh, uh, yeah, finally. Suck it, message good. movies. It made $36 million, which is pretty good considering uh, the scope of the project. Uh, on, Wait, yeah, $36 million. Jump Street made $36 million. Correct. Uh, what? <laughs> I didn't read that. Are you sure, Mr. Uh, that thing you said made $200 million and made like three cents that one time? Uh, that is the uh, the internet told me so. All right, all right. I believe I'm it, just, yeah. I'm surprised, but okay. No, no, it had a, it had a great... You're not the only one, Kelly Wand. I think Sony is... Uh, surpri- or Columbia is, is surprised as well. Yeah, Hollywood in general. Very surprised. Uh, I think that means we can look forward to a Jump Street... 2022 20, Jump Street. I don't know. Do, how, do, 21 Jump 30, Street. 30, 37. 
All right, good point. Did they already make? Did has it already made more than John Carter? Uh, that's a good question. I'm guessing since John Carter has two weekends under its belt, they're probably neck and neck. Ugh. I don't know. Yeah. More fun. So uh, critically, uh, on Metacritic, which averages the score of all the reviews, 21 Jump Street is at 69. On Rotten Tomatoes, Get it? on the other hand, no? Could you explain uh, that? Uh, Bill and Ted movie. On Rotten Tomatoes, on the other hand, which gauges the percentage of reviews that are positive, 21 Jump Street is currently at 86%, which is pretty good, also. Get it? <laughs> no. Uh, neither. That's not funny. Never but, mind. But you know what, Kelly Wand? I would like to get it, and I would like you to give it to me right now. Huh? Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> a synopsis, a blow-by-blow synopsis of everything that happened in 21 Jump Street. I want you to spoil it for everyone who hasn't seen it. Oh, you want to check out my chest? Your chestopsis. Uh, 21 Jumpstress. Are you ready? Or Hold do you have any other... Hold on, say, let me let me check out your t- chest. Check out. <laughs> oh, I oh, whoa! Uh, Can see? we do take two on that? Yeah, Kelly, want take it away? Uh, let me let How me look she... at your quiz. Mm, nice. Mm. I see now why you're the uh, ballast. Okay, Tony Jumps, stalker, Tata. See what I've done? So irritated. <laughs> All right. Dingus so far is the only one who hasn't screwed up this podcast. Uh, yes, I'm on a streak of horrible. Uh, <clears throat> no, Metacritic. <laughs> That's a good one, Tom. 21 Jumpstress. In case you want to edit that later so it sounds natural. Stockard Tatum Channing O'Neill plays a 250-pound dumbass named Randy Quaid. And Jonah Hill plays a 250-pound fat-ass named Quaid from Total Recall. Since he's fat... He likes to dress like Eminem in high school. I always thought kids picked their musicians based on who they already look sort of like, like I did in fifth grade with Sonny Bono. Jonah Hill asks a hot girl out to prom, with predictable results. If he's the smart one, why doesn't he ask the fat chick to prom, who's probably available? Also, how come in teen movies, fat nerds who shit their pants always get the hottie, but fat or plain chicks never get the hot guy? Although I guess Rachel Lee Cook was supposed to be fat. I guess she does weigh a lot on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> that was some stage direction, by the way, where I wrote Braze with Nerd Laughter. So. <clears throat> Stalker Channing gets expelled from school for being too dumb to attend prom. Jonah Hill gets expelled for asking out the hot chick. Seven years subtitle by... Although Jonah Hill was allegedly the smart one, he applies to be a beat cop. And since Tatum loves authority and hates people who do drugs and party, he does too on the same day. They also sit next to each other on the test. But since Tatum's character doesn't know about this thing called copying off somebody, he gets a 0.00. See, kids, you got to be a fucking genius to write parking tickets. Jonah Hill gets 100. Interestingly, these results arrive on their desks in blue books, which means it was an essay test. Tatum takes Tatum <laughs> Tatum asks Schmidt if he wants to be friends. Although Tatum can't get Schmidt laid by the hot chick anymore, Schmidt still says yes. Even though Tatum fails the test, he gets to stay in the academy for some reason and retake it at the end of a montage. Despite Jonah and then Jonah Hill has to retake it too. 
doesn't he? Never mind. Despite Jonah Hill's way better scores, and I guess based on his athletic ability, he gets to be a bicycle cop in the park with Tatum as his partner. They hate it. Jonah Hill, because since he's the smart one, he wanted to shoot people. And Tatum, because a handsome, hunky bicycle cop in the park in summer, never scores any trim. Luckily, some bikers randomly show up one day to sell drugs and eat peanut butter from the jar. I sure hate doing those. That means the character brought a jar of peanut butter to the park by motorcycle. I guess it's not weirder than What's-His-Face bringing peanut butter in Session 9. Since Jonah Hill's the smart one but fat, he chases the strong biker but fails because he skins his elbow. Bicycle cop gear tech doesn't include anything for elbows. Tatum tackles the mean black guy but forgets to read him his Miranda rights, and though Jonah Hill's the smart one, he also forgets to read them. Due to their inability to handle a single bust in the park, they get promoted to a special task force to pose as high school students to bust drug dealers known by his residential mailing address. Just like Operation Iraqi Freedom. I never watched this series, so I'm kind of wondering why their assignment and the series wouldn't be over once they busted the first dealer and thereby blown their cover. Did they go to a different high school every week, like Crockett and Tubbs? I bet Tom knows. A guy who jacks off to Paul Walker every day probably had a Greco phase. Anyway, they go to a Korean church, so their new boss, Captain Dick's son, played by a Ice Cube, can yell at them. Ice Cube hates drug dealers. I wasn't supposed to watch Ghosts of Mars Friday and Triple X Baked, motherfucker. So also as part of the assignment, they have to pose as brothers and move into Schmidt's parents' house and go to what I presume is the same high school, but probably with a different <laughs> faculty from seven years ago. <laughs> like ten minutes into the movie. Man, teenage culture sure has changed a lot since 2005. That was so long ago, bro. Tatum gets in trouble for bunt. For punching, for bunching a gay black kid, which was totally fine to do in 2005. But now the principal gets mad and says, one more incident and they get expelled. See, forging all the paperwork to get them into high school only took two seconds and zero hassles. But if they get expelled, it's irrevocable. Anyway, they get in trouble for punching a gay black kid, even though only Tatum punched him. Blowing up chickens and suffocating doves is one thing, but homoraciophobia is no longer a rock a rocker room word. Uh, worst ever. Spoiler alert. Even if you get expelled later in the movie during an onstage kerfluffle involving Peter Pan, you still get to go to prom, apparently, despite what young Tatum's told at the beginning of the movie about your eligibility based on GPA. By the way, I like him in this, but I kind of wish Gina Carano was playing Tatum's character. Shannon Tatum's character? What's his fucking name? Yeah. Who, Shannon Tatum? Yep. Gotcha. To make a movie synopsis writer less sleepy, Tatum and Quaid go through some life changes. Tatum learns that being a nerd's cool and that advanced chemistry can be taught to Neanderthals. Jonah Hill gets a man crush on a crunchy drug dealer, and though he's the smart one, seems to forget he's a cop and plans to go to Berkeley with the dude using his adopted identity. I got the sense that wasn't even a joke, by the way. That was like the drama of the movie. Just a little editorial from me. And I guess to keep selling drugs with them at Berkeley. It's like Scanner Darkly, kind of, huh? A truck of gas, fuel, and and doesn't blow up. But chickens do, because chickens are nerds, huh? 
Tatum Banks' chemistry teacher, Ellie Kemper, and doesn't get caught till the end credits outtakes. And Jonah Hill realizes his life's dream of falling in love with a minor. A drunken chick character in a limo, who I have no recollection of seeing before in this fucking movie, screeches stuff. Her tagline is, call me. Good one. At the end, dicks are shot off. Molly abruptly takes to drugs at an inopportune moment, gets mad only at Jonah Hill for Tatum barging into the middle of their play and starting a choreographed wire foo fight with him that has everyone except the guys operating the wires paralyzed with comical <laughs> disinterest. Johnny Depp gets shot through the throat right before giving a long speech to, I guess, Greco, but he's awfully pasty. Jonah Hill ingeniously prevents a nosy, loquacious neighbor lady in a record store from blowing his cover by shoving her into a bunch of boxes so she can't physically speak for the rest of the scene. And no store security exists to hassle him. Adam Sandler in a fucking movie trailer, even Canadians didn't sound enthused about, gets to play something we've never seen before from him, a dad. And best of all, thanks to Tatum and Schmidt, drug-taking, except before 21 Jump Street movies, is finally abolished before all time. Wait, for all time. The fucking end, motherfucker. Uh, I apologize. I used to be professional. Kelly White, I like this new approach of uh, taking various note cards and shuffling them and, <laughs> and delivering the uh, synopsis that way. I appreciate yeah, that, too. Because I had to write it at home and do it from work. Trust me. Who noticed this movie was shot in New Orleans? I still haven't noticed. (laughs) What do you mean? That can't be right. It is absolutely right, uh, because I stayed around after the credits, uh, hoping there would be an Easter egg. Attention, right. Maybe with with Ellie Kempler, whatever her name is. Kempler. Ah, that she feels... You read stuff while you waited, while I just sat there and just did nothing. <laughs> I, I noticed a fleur-de-lis. What was the fleur-de-lis for? Is that the symbol of New Orleans or something? Yeah, yeah. That's ah. the New Orleans symbol. Well, I it, think... Uh, it Lou- was, uh, I think they thanked, like, the New Orleans Film Commission or something. Right. There's definitely some sort of Louisiana uh, state board that is trying to get movies to shoot there to help. You know, it helps with the economy. So uh, I thought it was odd that they shot this in New Orleans and then kind of tried to disguise it. Because the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, is this shot in L.A.? And then there's that bridge scene. And I'm like, wait a minute, where did they shoot this? And it turns out, hey, New Orleans, but but kind of hidden. Project disguised as a comedy. Exactly. You know what? Yeah, it's, it's like a stimulus package, Kelly Wand. Interesting. <laughs> my, my part, 1550. Fucking <laughs> Vancouver. Tickets. Uh, all right, so uh, let's. Who here is familiar with the source material? Kelly Wand, you've confessed you are not. So, Dingus, that leaves you. Dingus, what does this have in common with the TV show besides Johnny Depp? Uh. <laughs> Dingus, you're no help at all. Were the other character, those two chicks, uh, were they based on other Jump Street characters? I was kind of curious about that. Yeah, Kelly One, I am going to uh, go on record as saying that probably this podcast will not be very helpful in terms of relating the movie to the TV series. Based on Dingus's dead silence when you asked him the question, and my... No one watched 21 Jump Street? We no. just did shit. Why what? would we watch that? Yeah. I don't know. It didn't sound very interesting. <laughs> Cops are in high school? I don't... What's, how can that be fun? 
don't know. All right, so yeah, so we, we do not, I apologize, we do not have a source material expert on this week, uh, so we can't provide you that information. I'd watch uh, Alice, but I wouldn't watch that, so that's just how low my bar was. Well, lucky for you, Alice was made into a movie by Martin Scorsese. Oh. So there you go. Uh, all right, so who liked this, who didn't like it? Let's go on record. We're starting with Dingus McCarlsky. Uh, Dingus, 21 Jump Street. You into it or not? I like to think of this as the funny MacGruber. Mm. Kelly Wan, you gonna let him get away with that? Um, it's. I thought it was funny. So if we're one for two with Dingus. I feel a little less bad because other people got mad at me over MacGruber too. MacGruber's been a hard sell because the first half of MacGruber's a little slow, I think, and then it kind of picks up. It's like uh, a it's like a Terrence Malick movie, MacGruber. <laughs> Uh, I like that that assessment, Kelly. However, I don't think this is a, a MacGruber type project. This is a uh, this is not like MacGruber is really weird. It's off kilter. Uh, I can true. understand why someone wouldn't like it. This is a sort of a redemptive bromance buddy cop comedy thing. MacGruber has nothing straight in it. Ever. There's no formula applying to MacGruber. MacGruber is completely off the wall. This is pretty formulaic, and I don't necessarily say it as criticism because uh, it's a formula that works, and I certainly enjoyed it. But uh, I think, Dingus, you're trying a little too hard to get in and dig at MacGruber. It didn't take. Oh, yeah, well, I, I think it's full of absurdity, and uh, I I really loved it for that reason. But yet he didn't like MacGruber. What's going on with him, Kelly Wong? I don't know. I think he doesn't <laughs> like mean things. And he doesn't like movies with Kristen Wiig. That's, I think, part of what's yeah, going on. Yeah, that's, that's a He's good a point. I, <laughs> I don't get her. I think this scratches the same itch as Your Highness does for me. Ooh. Oh, once again, Dingus is being very mean. He's he's paying. He's sort of hitting this movie with backhanded compliments. Yeah, but he's trying to he's trying to grab me because he he heard me cracking on Your Highness recently. Because there was like one joke from it that was like, seeming funny to me a year later. <laughs> a year later, I got it. Hey, maybe Ding. But then there's the other nights. If I watched the whole movie again, I'd hate Dingus again, or not hate him, but laugh at him, which is what I do. <laughs> I hate people. They, it's funny to me that I hate them. Uh, well, this had something that I don't feel MacGruber had, or MacGruber, good Lord. Dingus, see what you've made see? me do? He did this that. Had, I know. This had something that I feel that your highness did not have, and that is actors who were invested and energetic and cared about the project and could be bothered to do things like, say, learn lines. Yeah, and the lines yeah. were better. There was some pretty funny dialogue, I thought. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I, to I agree with you. I was just being glib. You were just being mean. I, we understand. Yeah, uh, being mean. Dingus, and, and I, who's to say now that someone won't bring up, oh, Avatar later on this podcast? Oh. See, see, what, see what you've opened? As you a what? Dingus, you mess with the bull, you get those pointy things on, the, on its head. <laughs> what do you think of that? Testicles? Uh, <laughs> Keep forgetting Tom grew up on a farm. <laughs> uh, I one of the things I really liked early on, and I wish there'd been a little more of this, was I really liked how self-aware it was with that speech from Ice Cube about recycling yeah. things and hoping people won't notice. Uh, however, to be fair, I think we had seen that same gag in another movie. Did it remind you of any other movie that maybe made Tom Chick's list of top ten movies for that year? I don't pay attention to your fucking lists. So no one remembers that bit that McGee brilliantly put in the Charlie's Angels movie. Which movie? 
Oh, where he's like, where it's Drew Barrymore is the fat guy. Where they're making fun of the fact that they're recycling TV shows because Hollywood is creatively bankrupt. Blah, blah. Yeah, but I liked Ice Cube's delivery more. <laughs> Ice Cube's delivery was great. And certainly his joke about, you know, the stereotypical angry black pop. Yeah, you know, that, that sort good. of self-awareness I really liked. Uh, but I, th- I think it kind of, you know, it went into that mandatory. Yeah, we're going to be serious and have redemption and characters that learn thing and all that stuff that Kelly Wand hates. Like it did a little bit too much of that sure. as it went on. And it was more even- hits than miss. Right. Definitely more hits than miss. Definitely more hits than misses. Um so, uh, but mainly, I I'm just such a huge fan of Jonah Hill, and even before this movie, uh, Channing Tatum. I, I feel, and I know at least one other person on this podcast feels that way, and he hasn't even seen Step Up. Hey, uh, the writer that we both like, Tom, he wrote Scott Pilgrim and Project X, which is okay, but it's no Jump Street. <laughs> So wait, he, and he, this is the writer of 21 Jump Street, you're saying? Yeah, here at Scott Pilgrim, so ponder that for a moment. Okay, I just did. Thank you. <laughs> now back to what you're saying. <laughs> he also I also played Dwayne on Mr. Belvedere. Okay, I'm done. Uh, I did think for a while watching this movie, I was pretty sure, turns out I was wrong, but while I was watching, I was pretty sure, I was pretty sure I was looking at Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Am I the only one who did that? No? Wait, with who? Uh, her name is Brie Larson, the actress who plays the the love interest. I, I thought during the whole movie that that was her. Well, they're Wait, both in the, that movie. Molly? You thought Molly was? They're both in Scott Pilgrim. Oh, she's in Scott Pilgrim? Wait, she's not the girlfriend. That's Mary Elizabeth Winstead, right? Right. She's the... Uh, so, uh, this is she's, the worst um, ever. Oh, God. She's she, a rock and roll girl. Oh, the lesbian. The behind-the-knee chick. Right. No, 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 no. She's the famous rock and roll girl. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, I can't remember her name. Wait a minute. This is a, this is Envy. Envy. Not the girl from In Treatment who plays Gabriel Byrne's daughter. It's Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. No, 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 no. Okay. Brie Larson plays Envy, uh, the, the girl that uh, he wants so badly, who's the rock and roll chick. Okay. Uh, but he can't uh, get her. But right. Allison Brie's on Community. Uh, so this is Brie Larson, but but Dingus, you're assuming that I actually remember things about Scott Pilgrim better than I do. So, <laughs> but anyway, I I was looking. At, I I quite liked Brie Larson, and I thought she certainly took what would be normally a thankless part. And I loved just her talking to to Jonah Hill. Like that scene on the couch was really endearing, and uh, I really liked her. And I feel bad that I was sitting there thinking, "Wow, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's pretty good," and it wasn't even her. Now you. So how do you feel about this? What's your I, new take? I feel awful. I will now watch. Other chick screwed. <laughs> uh, but okay, so uh, so Dingus, what made this work for you? Uh, I love how it it allowed itself to go over the top and be absurd, um, and embrace its absurdity. I, I was just crazy about that, and I, I liked how it flip flopped the the nerd jock thing yeah. once they got to school. I loved how that all played out. And I, I thought that, that uh, you said this already, Tom, I thought Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill were fantastic. Yeah. I thought they were great. I thought they had great chemistry. Uh-huh. And I, I thought they played that, that weird flip-flop where Jonah gets to be popular and Channing Tatum gets to be hurt. Uh, perfectly. I love that so well, much. And again, part of that self-awareness, how they set it up early on with, with Ice Cube uh, basically... Uh, Brace your stereotype. Exactly, right. And and I, I think that's that's part of the joke, is that they then flip-flop on that. And that, that was a pretty smart little thing that it did that I really enjoyed. 
Um, yeah. Uh, Kelly Wan, did you get enough Ellie Klempner? No, I never do. She's never in any movie for more than five seconds. And then that sex scene in the end credits, just like, you cut Ellie Kemper? You don't cut Ellie Kemper. There's not enough already. Right. It makes me wonder if there's like three fucking out, like three Godfather movies worth of Ellie Kemper stuff I haven't seen. Oh, I, I think there is. And I, I think you can see the cuts, um, especially when they go to the pinata part of the movie. You can sort of feel the cuts happening, the edits happening. Why are they cutting that? Well, and even well, the bit because it's a two-hour movie and it's a comedy, and you have to cut. I mean, I yeah. always complain about that type of thing, and and they have to do it. See what you've done, Dingus. I hope you're happy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not happy with <laughs> that at Kemper all. Ellie Kemper gets for, she gets cut before uh, like shootout bullshit. You know what? I'm with you, Kelly Wand. Yeah, when it was trying to do action scenes, I was I was pretty bored. Uh, that whole big bit in the hotel room, I was you know cut that, just skip all that stuff. Let us see the actors uh, goofing around some more. Or specifically, Ellie Kemper having sex with <laughs> the dude. Uh, she did a great bit in the the prom scene. You know where he shows up at the know, prom but... and she's being all uh, schizophrenic on him. That was There's a, Ice Cube was... goes don't have sex with anybody, and then he does have sex with her according to the end credits. So the payoff to their joke is in the end credits or cut. I don't approve of that. It's because Hollywood listens to Dingus saying comedies need to be short and better leave the shoot-in outs in. So right. Dingus is happy. Put the shoot-ins out. That, that little moment at the punch bowl is so perfect, Tom. I'm so yeah. glad you brought that up. Get away from me. Stay here. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wand, who would win in a fight between Ellie Klimperer and Lucy Punch? Me. <laughs> we all win. That's close. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, something else that I love, and Kelly Wan, you are constantly railing about this, and when I sit through a movie, when I sit through, I don't mean to put it that way, when I watch a movie like 21 Jump Street, I certainly feel you, uh, and that is, I love a good R-rated comedy. You know, yeah. I love one where they can have blood squibs and Channing Tatum saying, fuck you, science, uh, and and references to the old lady grabbing his Johnson in the store. Like, I, you know what, if you're going to be R-rated, embrace it. Uh, yeah. So I really Brace like your that. stereotype. And, it, and, and think how this could have been a PG-13, like, sort of a palatable, safe comedy if they wanted it to be that way. And I'm, I'm so glad they didn't do they that. They could have made it. They didn't even have to make it a comedy. They Brady Bunched it like that was a risk. Well, wait a minute. Now you have me wondering. So the actual TV show wasn't a comedy. No, it was a serious cop show. No, come on. I swear to God. You think Johnny Depp was in a comedy show? Come on. Maybe. What? No, it was totally in earnest, and that's why people were so nervous. That's why I, I love s- it so much, and I Please. love that it was R-rated because these guys directed Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which I saw at my oh, really? school. And it was—it's really Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is really good, and that they convinced somebody we're going to make an R movie and we're going to go R to the wall, we're going to go balls to the wall R, <laughs> and that they did that after Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I'm just so happy. Yeah. Dingus, is there any continuity between 21 Jump Street and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? I mean, I'm asking in earnest. I haven't seen it. Is there anything that that you could see in 21 Jump Street where it's like, yeah, these are the guys that did that cartoon? There's this there's this weird sort of over-the-top absurdity, and I keep using that word absurdity because I think it really applies. When Channing Tatum says, says something like, I'm going to beat your dick off. I'm going to beat your dick off with both hands. <laughs> or, Or they don't do the, oh, did they see us? Oh no, they 
they think you're sucking my dick. He, he just says, if they see us, pretend you're sucking my dick. I yeah. love that. It's just so absurd. And Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs just goes over the top with just this food, uh, gross absurdity that's perfect. And these guys know how to do that. All right, good. There's some stuff that, like, there's a little too much redemption for my taste, but there's also too many money moments where I was like, eh, it's a pretty good line drive to the comedy writing (laughs) and the dialogue in particular, where I forgave it the predictable third act bullshit that Dingus prefers doesn't get cut instead of Ellie Kemper's sex scenes. (laughs) Because he's a big softy. But I think all I think the redemption is totally on purpose. I think that that's part of the that ridiculous. Uh, we're going to make something explode and then double explode, or the chickens explode. I think that redemption is. I think that they're just going all in. Yeah, the throat thing was pretty good. <laughs> I really like that depth. But oh, when they're, we're going to finger each other's mouths, that one. I like that too. That's I, like where the, Dingus, I love that. That's where Dingus goes to. When I, yeah, yeah. I actually knew what what Kelly Wan was talking about. Johnny Depp. But look what Dingus is throat. thinking. Yeah. Uh, oops. Before I even talk. <laughs> but again, that's an invested thing. You know, they both sat there jamming their fingers in each other's mouths, and uh, there was a lot of that actually in this movie. Actors putting fingers in each other's mouths. There was more of that in this than there was in Cape Fear. Uh, uh, <laughs> kind of bummed you went like I of the two the scenes. <laughs> what? Just making an observation. It's it's all context, Cali Wand. Almonds. <laughs> so your favorite throat moment is somebody getting shot, and mine is somebody's fingers. So yeah. So what did you guys think of? Because that was again to me a little self-aware thing when Johnny Depp showed up. Were you guys okay with that kind of celebrity cameo? Yeah, but I didn't get a lot of his jokes because. Things you don't saying stuff to the other guy that we're supposed to get, and I didn't watch the show. And, and it, it can't be Greco. That's retarded. That's no fucking way. That's Greco, right? It's in some other guy on the show we don't even know. Like, oh, you might know. be right because I, I don't think I would know Richard Greco if I saw him on the street. Like I don't. I'm just assuming that was his co-star. He looks like Damone from Fast Times, but he's like squashier looking. Well, my thinking there was, man, if I was ever on a TV show with someone and then had to like reappear somewhere 15, 20 years later, I wouldn't want it to be someone who defies age like Johnny Depp because, <laughs> good Lord, you, make... you suffer in comparison standing next to Johnny Depp. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Doing fake news here. But they, so whoever, yeah, so whoever that was, I felt sorry for him. Yeah. If they make a West Wing movie, they should make a comedy version of it. One, two, three, not only la, 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 all I can say is if they make a West Wing movie, I, I hope it's comedy. By the way, I thought Molly or the principal was the bad guy. And also... Uh, well, that was a spoiler. We don't want to give away who the villain is now that uh, we're past wait. spoiler territory. Oh, okay. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's one. I saw this movie in Canada, in Vancouver, with a bunch of young Canadians on dates, and this one chick in the audience was going, "Ah, a lot, like a ton. And then the one that surprised me is when Molly tells Joan Hill, you're the only guy I can trust. And then she went, "Ah, that. Like, oh. My favorite audience moment was before the movie, uh, after the during the trailer for American Reunion, when uh, Eugene uh, Levy goes, I'm Jim's dad, and this girl goes, uh-oh. <laughs> really? 
she could tell Dingus that shenanigans were about to ensue. She thought she that knew. was an awesome twist. <laughs> Do they give that away? The oh, fucking stupid. I hate those movies so much. I hate them. <laughs> All those characters. Shan Elizabeth's not in that one, right? Well, you know what? The, this three by three is actually your favorite uh, offshoots of American Pie. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Get it? <laughs> Gross. I know. Well, you said it. Uh, so instead, let's do a three by three of your favorite camera gimmicks. Yeah. Now, we saw a movie last week that was supposedly one long real-time take. It was, of course, no such thing. But it made me think of, hey, what are some other cool camera gimmicks that we like? Um, so let's run down them. We've each got three. Kelly Wand, you are introducing next week's 3x3, so you will be starting off this week's 3x3. What is your third favorite camera gimmick? I thought this was a great topic, but mine are all kind of really boring choices, so I apologize. It'll be more like I'll enjoy seeing what you guys and other people do, and not I won't be excited to see what I'm about to say. Well, you also know what you're about to say, so... I know, and I'm kind of bummed in advance. It's been, it's been spoiled for you. Mine are all really obvious and kind of boring. I don't know. Anyway, my number three is just Enter the Void. Mm. That was a pretty cool camera gimmick. <laughs> oh, the, uh, why don't you tell us what it is? It's a spoiler. I don't want to spoil things. I know how you hate that. How much do you want me to say? Like, what's the cutoff? What uh, you I know what? It's, it's totally up to you. Like, I, I feel that the camera, We when we had an Enter the Void podcast, we talked a little bit about at what point we realized what the camera was doing. It's fairly early in the movie, so I think you could probably Enter say. the Void's all one shot, like Silent House, but not as... What were you going to say? Um, I'm not sure no. I'd go with that. I mean, there's plenty of edits and cuts... Yeah, but it, it's the same, same with both movies. They both are fake one-shot. They're not... Neither of them is really one-shot. They're supposed to be one-shot. Right. Well, well, you know, fair point. I mean, Enter the Void is very much about someone's state of consciousness, and he right. soars around a lot. But I, I actually cut you off, so go ahead. So what is the actual camera trick that you like? Well, that. And also just that... Um that it's you know it's that kind of movie, and then twenty minutes in, there's kind of a game changing event where you go, wait, what? It's, but if it's like it's kind of like when how Tom felt when he was watching Apollo eighteen and went, hey, this couldn't be a found footage because blah bitty blah blah bleep 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 <laughs> whatever he said. <laughs> Fucking listens to that guy. But my point is this: great movie, uh, great gimmick, terrible movie. One of those, you be the judge. The void has been entered. My number three. Uh, Enter the Void, though, it does a you, – you could watch it and think you're watching a found footage movie until the character blinks and you realize, oh, wait, this isn't found footage. I'm looking through his eyes. Uh, like that's what I would call the, the gimmick there. Oh, wait, I meant Silent House. What was I talking about? <laughs> but okay, Enter the Void. Uh, now, I'm, well, you know what? No, I'll, I'll explain when it's my turn. Uh, so that's Kelly Wan's tr- uh You don't consider camera- that a camera gimmick? Is that way you're kind of sounding a little... You'll see. Well, you'll see when you get to my 3x3. <laughs> Stand by for that. Dingus, in the meantime, what is your number three choice for your favorite camera gimmick? And uh, how do you feel about the topic? Are you okay with it? Was it difficult? Uh, it was very difficult, and... Uh, and then I watched a few movies at the end of the week that all of them made me very happy to watch. Well, actually, one of them, one of them was really, really hard to watch, but I love it so much, and it was worth watching it. So, um, that, oh, go ahead. Sorry. So, so I, I really liked it because uh, because I, I had a hard time. So I was thinking of really isolated things, and um, 
I went broad with my number three a little bit, and uh, I'm really happy with uh, with my number one and number two is kind of obvious. So you kind of trooper hitting his head was a camera gimmick. Yep. Hmm. Uh, give it. Do you have a line for us from your number three pick, Dingus? I have a little bit of dialogue. Here you go. Wow. Okay. What do you do? I'm in construction. Wait, can you do the camera move that the camera did so I can guess what the gimmick was? I think sure, I know I what could, that is. Uh, Your head. I can do it, but it's going to take me almost three minutes to do it. Construction. I think it's, on that date. it's a line from Heat, isn't it? Isn't that what Robert construct- De Niro tells Amy Brenneman? Sounds like a Michael Mann line, huh? <laughs> uh, Dingus, I haven't seen this movie, I'm guessing. Uh, then she says, they don't feel like you're in construction, and he says, I'm a union delegate. They don't feel like you're in construction. Oh, you know what? He's doing some Brian De Palma movie. Probably The, the Replacements. The Somethings. That's the actual <laughs> title, by the way. That's not my guess. I think it's called The Somethings. No? Give me another hint. I, do a line. I do, Try I do love the, uh, the, the title, The Somethings. Uh, no, there's no the. It's just Goodfellas. <laughs> and it's the, um, the, the camera gimmick I'm talking about oh. is, is a tracking shot. Mm. And the tracking shot that I love uh, my favorite trekking shot, um, and we talked about this a little bit when we did the Shame podcast because I was really annoyed by an extended tracking shot in that because I didn't feel like it had a reason, although Tom did feel like it had a reason. I thought he, he defended that pretty well, actually. Uh, but I love uh, the scene where uh, Lorraine Bracco and... Um, Ralph Macchio. Oh, Ralph Macchio. Well, where, <laughs> Ray, Liotta. Where, Ray Liotta. I know this one. Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta. Where Henry Hill and, and, and Karen are entering the club. And and you are walking in through the back of the club all the way with them. And it's it's literally the him walking her into his world. And I love that whole tracking shot. And sometimes tracking shots are just for show. This one certainly is for show, but it also has a character and thematic element. And I watched that again this week, and I just love that the way that whole thing just flows through. And he takes her in and brings her into his world, and in, in this very in this way that makes her just become a part of him. I love that. And that the art of that kind of thing is almost lost today because of CG, I feel. Like that yeah. that kind of old-timey, you know, we're going to set this up, it's going to be one take. Like, filmmakers can do that now, and it's no big deal, and we're used to seeing it because they can cheat it with CG. And, and I kind of feel like, it, like when that was done in the past in movies like Goodfellas, it's special in a way that it's not really special when we see it these days. Um, and that's what was really hard about this because I started thinking about little things I liked about cameras or, or, uh, or camera, gimmick, camera gimmicks or camera tricks in films that we've seen in the last couple of years. And it's really difficult to divorce those from what's done in camera and what's done in, yeah. in CG. And I really tried to get away from the CG stuff. Well, good, because that's a little bit of something I wanted to talk about with Kelly's pick. You know, Enter the Void has really good uh, cinematography and visual tricks. Uh, but if I was going to be a stickler, and I was for my list, I wouldn't expect you guys to do this. I, it, well, seriously, those aren't camera tricks. Like, a lot of that is CG. A lot of that, you know, uh, when... Um, when uh, Gimmick. Uh, no, no, Gimmick. I, but ca- camera. Camera. <laughs> Whose topic was this? <laughs> Whose topic was this? Uh, when, when, uh, uh, not Hanukkah, Gaspar Noe did uh, Irreversible, for instance. Irreversible was all handheld stuff. But uh, a lot of times the crew, and I heard him talk about it, uh, the movie once at a Q&A session, a lot of times the crew would be in the shot 
because there was so much just handheld stuff and moving the camera around or the boom would be in the shot, and they just removed that digitally. Uh, so I feel like that's not really a camera trick so much as a visual trick. And, and again, Kelly Wan, I'm totally fine with, with Inner Void. That's a great pick. But like Dingus, for me, I wanted these to all be things specifically about cameras. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Dingus, because I'm looking at mine. Mine are all old. Uh, so none of mine is stuff that's been done with, with CG. Uh, so my number three pick, uh, this is the flashiest gimmick. Um, and Silent House actually made me think of this movie because unlike Silent House... Uh, and unlike even Rope, which is supposed to be a continuous shot, this movie is a continuous shot. There is no cutting, and they had to they had to do this several times over over the course of several days. And I think it was finally something like the it says at the end of the movie. I think like the thirtieth take they did, they finally got it. What's more, this isn't just one shot; it's four shots. Uh, and the movie, of course, oh. is, is Mike Figgis's time code, oh, where nice. where he just has the actors in different locations, each with with a camera. You know, the screen is split into four places, and each you know each screen, each quadrant of the screen opens at the same time, and action unfolds. And he's he's it's very calculating in terms of like where your eye goes at any given time and how much activity is going on. And then at times, characters from one quadrant will interact; they'll come into the same room. I think at one point there might even be three quadrants in the same room. So you have to be careful, like, does the camera see the other camera? Uh, I love how near the end of the movie, it's not a major plot point, but there's an earthquake. You know, it's set in Los Angeles. There's a small earthquake, and it sort of unifies all four little sections of the screen in in one moment in time. Um, So I, I just love the experiment uh, with playing with four cameras in one bona fide actual single take with no cuts. I love what Mike Figgis did in Timecode. Uh, and that's something we don't see anymore because movies like Silent House will just cut, uh, you, you know, they'll have somebody walk in front of the camera and they'll cut to a different take. You know, they'll cheat. Are, are we sure Silent House cheated? Oh, absolutely, Dingus! Come on, all, all the blood, yeah. all the blood continuity. They've even. Oh, said, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I forget. I keep forgetting that because I, I just wanted to believe it so much when I was watching. right. Well, <laughs> and even even rope cheats. Like everyone thinks yes. of rope as, but but you know they didn't make a camera that could hold a reel that would last right. the running time of rope. So rope, which everyone thinks of as one continuous take, absolutely not one continuous take. You know, I, I think the longest they could go was something like 17 minutes. I forget what the actual number is. But it's still impressive. I no, mean, no, no. Right. I don't mean to detract from rope. I mean, because the conceit for a movie like Rope, and I would argue even Silent House, isn't, hey, this really was one take. The conceit instead is you're watching events in real time. It doesn't really matter the process that that they actually cheated. What matters is that what you're being presented is an actual real-time event. Like, as an audience member, I think that's what matters. In Um, neither case did the content seem to justify the gimmick, in my opinion. Um... I see the point. Of- I disagree with that. I kind of I mean- do too, Kelly Wand, especially for a horror movie where moments of tension and drama. Like I wasn't that crazy about Silent House, but I, I feel like they really did what they could to, to sort of force you to experience it in real time, and they got a different kind of tension and suspense from that. I think it would have been more interesting if it had been a real story in real time instead of a bunch of gobbledygook and dreams. Uh, Kelly Wand, can I recommend a movie to you called Time Code? Then. 
I don't want to watch four fucking movies. <laughs> well, Time Code, again, I feel the material, uh, because Time Code is basically about the fractiousness, is that a word, of Los Angeles and what it does to people's lives. I, I feel the concept really is used, like, like there's a reason Time Code is using that. It's not just a gratuitous gimmick. Uh, I feel mm-hmm. that it applies. And I kind of feel the same way. And, and Dingus, I cut you off, but I, I presume you're going to agree with me. Like, you think it earns that one-take gimmick? Well, I just, I I kind of think of it from the point of view of somebody who's done acting before. And I, uh, and I imagine what it takes to try to get that far into an, a 90, 89-minute movie, and then you get to the 81st minute and somebody screws something up, <laughs> and are you going to start over? I mean, the, the practicality of that, of course, if you see, if you think about the financials of making a movie, that is impossible. But, but making three or four actors, we're going to do this, and we're going to try to map this out over a whole house for that amount of time, it's fascinating to me just yeah. as an acting exercise. And and watching it, that has me on the edge of my seat a little bit. Yeah. And that's why they had to shoot time code, you know, several times over until they finally got it right. Uh, they finally got a take that they could use. Uh, all right, so that is my number three. Kelly Wan, back to you. What fancy CG camera gimmicks do you have for your number well, two take? I guess again, I, I'm not early shoehorning of how I'm, you're doing it. Hold on, I'm not disparaging your picks. I was totally giving you a hard time. No, because it. I think this is. <laughs> but then uh, I was starting to d- agree with you, like, yeah, Dingus fucking steady cam. That's a different thing. And I looked at Milas and went, oh, wait, I'm going to steady cam. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what steady cam is your number two pick? I guess. But Ding- this was Dingus's topic, right? It was my topic, yeah. Ah, oh, damn. So it's all your fault that you didn't explain it properly. Well, I wanted to leave uh, people leeway. Because, you know, it depends on what you think of as a camera. These days, a camera is not the kind of camera that Scorsese was using when he shot Goodfellas. You just gave me an impulse to want to see the artist, like, in 3D with, like, colorized. Ouch. Sorry. Yeah. Maybe you should. You know what? Kelly Wan, just go watch Hugo and you'll be cured of that. (laughs) Hugo? Oh, that thing? Nah. Uh, my number two is uh, Evil Dead 2. Mm, Sam Raimi, known for some camera tricks. Yeah, I. it's kind of an obvious, boring choice, but I like the idea that um, you're a little unclear on whether what you what the camera is is even visible, like based on Bruce Campbell's reaction. Because it can knock down doors and go through windshields. And he seems to be seeing it, but is he just hearing it? Is it like the happening? Is he running from a wind? Oh, you would go there. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sam Raimi is so good, and it's, you know, you you see Barry Sonnenfeld do the same thing with this whole idea of putting a camera low to the ground and having it scuttle and having actors react to it and run from it. I love that. That's, That's so iconic in... Certainly Evil Dead 2. Did Evil Dead 1 play with that that much? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. 2 has my favorite where it really, like, he drives away from it. He's fucking, and then it's, he goes through the entire house. Oh, yeah, the, the gimmick of running through the house. It's like yeah. that chasing and raising Arizona almost. I mean, the way that it moves from room Precision to room. Precision timing. Yeah. Yeah. And then it can't. And then he it gets he outwits it by somehow getting it. Oh, that's right. And it gets lost. And it's yeah, looking around it's, for it. What the? So it's like okay. So no through windshields, but it gives up. Like, and then it goes back out. And and I just found that endlessly fast. Like what kind of being would do that? And if you watch it with the sound down, it's kind of a bucolic, pleasant. Like it's 
you can totally picture different music and not. Like, oh, yeah, awesome steady cam in the forest. We, we got this great footage the other day and knocked down some doors because Bruce Campbell was being clumsy. But, yeah, it's a great cabin. We should buy this, honey. Like that kind of a movie. Kelly, one, that's a great pick. Come on. That's awesome. And I've never seen anything like it. Like, it really was original. Like, that's something that's never, I've never seen in any other movie. Well, a lot of times, like, it's not done in a movie with that kind of, like, spiritedness, like, with that kind of energy. A lot of times in a movie, it'll just cheapen out, it'll just do a cheap shot, like the camera is the monster's POV, and the actor or actress looks at it and screams and then fade to black or, or whatever. And There's it's a lot sort of, of like, zest and zeal. Yeah. Well, well, it's sort of like Sam Raimi was raised on that kind of, like, horror movie, and so he just, he pushes that conceit, even, you know, instead of fading to black, hey, you know what, here's the monster's POV. We're just going to have a long scene and let you see what the monster sees. But he even thought out, like, its limitations and what it can do. Right. Like, it just looks like such a pain in the ass to, to stage that and choreograph it. And how do you get – you have to break a windshield before the camera guy flies through it. Like, just the logistics of it. And it also ty- it also takes him up in the sky for a little bit and spins him around. Maybe I think that's a different shot, actually. And no CG, so there you go. No CG, uh, you know. I mean, we're all we've seen that movie is now like reached the point where it's sort of like Star Wars to even reference the old Dead movie, like yeah, yeah, the thing, thing. But Kelly, one, can you give us a line from Evil Dead Two? Groovy, or is that the first one? I'm sure he at some point or another says that. How can a tree raping me feel so wrong and so that right? Li- yeah, that line is not in the movie. Oh, David. <laughs> oh. Anyway, that's all right. Evil Dead Two, very good pick. Dingus, what do you got that can top that? And do you have a line from it? I do have a line from it, but I doubt it will top it. All right, let's hear it. We'll be the judge of that. Top. JK. You know, Mr. Bernstein, if I hadn't been very rich, I might have been a really great man. Oh, good lord! He's doing like uh, that Jimmy Stewart Christmas movie again. I hope not. There's no camera gimmicks in a Jimmy Stewart movie. Oh, good point. Except is, rope. <laughs> is he doing that? Is he doing that Barry Levinson thing where Jack Black invents like a dog poo picker upper thing? Poo rise. Yeah, is that what he's doing? Uh, Dingus wouldn't like that movie. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He loves Diner. That's another Barry Levinson movie. I don't know. He loves. I know he loves Toys. That's a good Barry Levinson movie. <laughs> That's LL Cool J's best work. Uh, Dingus, it sounds like Kelly Wan and I haven't seen it or. Your clue was terrible. Uh, it was probably the latter. Hmm. Here's another quote from it. It's a cinch I'll die richer than I was born. Oh, it's the same quote. Quit doing with the rich. <laughs> Say a quote that's not about a fucking Scrooge character. Oh, you know what? I right. think I, go ahead, yeah. Do a what woman. do you think, Tom? What do you think it is? I think it is the uh, that Benjamin Button movie of which you are so fond. Also shot in New Orleans. Oh. <laughs> I do love all of the camera tricks and none of the CG in that movie. Uh, I don't know, Dingus, these are terrible quotes. Tell us who the actor yeah, is who they says are the terrible. quotes. Yeah, who's the uh, actor who says the quotes? Instead, I'm going to tell you the gimmick. Okay. Uh, the gimmick is called Deep Focus. Uh, I'm so stupid. can't believe I have a film degree. Uh, what's... Okay. That's not the Rennie Harlan movie about the sharks, and it's not the movie about Hogan's Heroes guy. No, he said, he said the sucks. name of the... He was giving you the name of the camera trick. Not I know, I know. I'm, I'm just... I'm, this is how I process, Tom. Bear with me here. This is how <laughs> Look Well works. Tom, say something. Get me out of this. All right, uh, shall I, shall I give you the name of the actor who says the quote or his character's name? Both. All right, the character's Tom's name stuff. is Charles Foster Kane, 
Oh, good the, lord. Oh, so it's from, uh, whatever. Conan. It's from the Magnificent Ambersons. Very good. What? No, it's, uh, it's from Citizen Kane, and it's, uh, one of my favorite things ever in a movie. Um, and it's one of those things that made me understand why Citizen Kane is great. And, uh, it was introduced to me by, uh, a movie critic, an obscure movie critic named Roger Ebert, um, who wrote uh, something, I, I can't remember what the exact, uh, column was. It was something like why Citizen Kane matters or why Citizen Kane is great or something like that. I read it about 15 or 20 years ago. And he, and he laid out a bunch of different reasons. And one of them is deep focus. And, um, because I'd watched Citizen Kane a couple of times, I'd seen it in a theater in New York, and I was just like, eh. and I didn't understand it. And the, the, the thing that he made specific was this one scene, this one shot, um, where he lays out why deep focus matters and, and what, what deep focus is. And that's the way of making everything in the frame, no matter how far away it is in frame in focus. And there's a number of things you have to do to cheat so that that makes sense. And there's this great scene where, uh, I don't know, it's about 30 minutes into the movie where Charles Foster Kane is signing away his empire, basically signing away his newspaper. And he's saying, I can't, uh, you know, he's, he's just signing away cause he's bankrupt. Or, or he's gone bust. And there are these windows in the background. They look like normal-sized windows. And he stands up from the table, and he walks into the background. And when he gets back there, the windows are enormous, and he looks tiny underneath them. It's almost like a, the top-secret phone gag, but dramatic. And then he walks back into the foreground, and he's huge again. And I... I just remember that capturing my imagination when I read this article 15 or 20 years ago. And so when Tom said camera gimmicks, this is one of the first things I thought of. And so it gave me an, uh, the opportunity to just check out a couple scenes from Citizen Kane again this week, which it's, it's hard to watch scenes from that without watching the whole thing. So it's that deep focus uh, gimmick kind of thing, which happens throughout the movie. But the specific moment is that window scene uh, where he's signing the papers. Kelly, one, do you feel like you're back in film school right now? Wait, I understand why the Watergate guy was called that. Deep focus. <laughs> That's where he went. Uh, you know what? I, it sounds like I should watch this Citizen Kane movie at some point. Oh, you've never seen it? Why would I see that? Mm, it does have a lot of cool camera shit. Things well, yeah, in like old-timey black and white stuff. I mean, whatever. A lot of that's CG, though. I mean, most like the the mirror. The, there's this thing where like there's an infinite mirror shot of him. That's CG. CG, fake. Yeah, fake. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Yeah, like I. Of course, you want everything in focus. You just like squish it all together. That's how that yeah, works. I don't know if that's a gimmick. That's <laughs> yeah. just a setting on the camera. Yeah, thing. that's that's having that's having a cinematographer who doesn't suck. Yeah, that's like that's saying right. turning the camera on is a gimmick. <laughs> Taking the lens like, cap off. That's yeah. one of my favorite gimmicks. Cinematographer being he, born. <laughs> he presses the button halfway, and then everything's in focus, and then he takes the picture. Right, exactly. Oh, Thank so you, it's the halfway press but button press. Uh, to be fair, though, a lot of... A lot of times, like, I'll see now some of the older movies where they do the split focus, where, like, one character's way in the background and one character's way in the foreground, and they want them to both be in focus. So they're literally using a split lens, and you can always see the blurry line down the center that's sometimes disguised better, you know, they 
find ways to disguise it by having it over an object or something. Uh, but I'm always conscious of like those cheesy old timey split focus gimmicks. Uh, Tom, your time code thing is not a real one either because that's just four cameras. That's not like a gimmick. That's just using more cameras. You know what? You're right. It's kind of it's kind of just like a TV show where they have you know like a two camera sitcom, (laughs) but twice that. You're right. (laughs) It's like calling TiVo a camera gimmick. All right. So uh, (laughs) Citizen Kane, Dingus, getting all highfalutin on us. Uh, I I watched black and white Orson Welles movies. I I thought for sure Kelly would have that at least. Yeah, I know. I should have because I do like that movie, and I should. I just forgot. What I was thinking. So here's here's when, when Dingus talked. Here's what I heard. Wah, 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 wah. Top Gun. Wah, 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 wah. Or no, no, not Top Gun. Top Secret. Sorry, I screwed it up. <laughs> Wait, I like how you misremembered that. <laughs> I confused those two movies. Because Top Gun had an awesome camera gimmick because t- Tom Cruise was super short and Kelly McGillis was super tall, so they had to do the, uh, like, that's, make him tall. Yeah, that's not a camera gimmick. That's an Apple Crate gimmick. Oh, I thought it was an app. <laughs> All right, my number two. You guys ready for this? I was worried. I almost thought Dingus was going to steal my number one. Uh, he might still. Uh, but my number two favorite camera gimmick is a very simple one. I've seen this a lot. The first time I saw it, and where I think it works most, uh, is in The Exorcist. And like many camera gimmicks, I say like many camera gimmicks, like my number one and my number two, if you do this too many times in a movie, it ruins it. You have to be very careful when you do it. And this particular gimmick involves like a steady cam harness, where normally you put that harness on the, the cinema, on the DP the, or the your cameraman or whatever. You put it on the guy who's holding the camera, and then he runs around and he shoots stuff. This is that same trick, but you put the harness on an actor and you spin the camera around where it's shooting his face, and it looks like it's anchored to him, and everything in the background is moving around. Uh, I know what yours is. Well, in the first, well, I already said it. The first time I saw this... Can I guess? Can I guess? The Exorcist. <laughs> and there's that great scene in The Exorcist where Reagan jumps on the priest and he falls over to the floor, and it's an actor with that harness on, and uh, William Friedkin has put the camera up in the actor's face as he falls backwards. So it's sort of like he's fixed, and then the ground is rushing up to meet him, uh, and it's just this, this priest being assaulted uh. by a demon possessed Reagan. But I, you see this, uh, uh, like this, this gimmick. Uh, is in 28 Weeks Later when Robert Carlyle turns. They put the camera on him, and he's rampaging around the halls, tearing up people. Uh, it's also in... Actually, I made some notes here. Oh, Mean Streets. I think Scorsese did it when, if I'm not mistaken, like Harvey Keitel is really drunk running around. Uh, in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, after the character loses to a, a poker game, uh, an Iggy Pop song comes on, and it just shows him devastated because he, he had everything riding on this game. Uh, and as he's kind of getting up from the table and reeling at the the, the, the importance of his defeat, uh, you know, Guy Ritchie has that whole thing where the camera's anchored to him. Um, so that's my number two favorite trick. You see it a fair bit, but I remember it most from The Exorcist. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. I'll, I won't say what I thought you were going to say because it might be your number one. All right. I, I feel it. bad about last week. Well, it's that technique. Like, is it? Are you talking about something with that technique? Because my number one is a whole different technique, a whole different gimmick. My the one I thought you were going to do was a rack focus shot. Is that the same technique that I'm talking about? Uh, a little bit. 
But not no, nothing like not. it. No, but not thank you. For that's ruining, what I meant. Yeah, thank you for ruining my number one. That has nothing to do with putting a harness on an actor. All right, Kelly, on what is your number uh, one? Oh, yours biggest? makes me think of this uh, because I tried to think of ones like that. It makes me think of this Smashing Pumpkins video. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's yeah, man. Me and Orson Welles watched together on LSD. <laughs> I'm in the Academy. Duh. <laughs> That's okay. a that's a video though, Dingus. So save that for the quarter to three. Yeah, come on, video podcast. I, I apologize. I shouldn't have brought that up. You told me not to mention videos, and then I did. Uh, and no is that whatsoever? Is that the course. Smashing Pumpkin video where the little girl dresses up like a bee? That one. <laughs> oh God, this is worse. <laughs> Kelly, Watt, what is your number one choice of camera gimmick? What do you got for us? Oh, uh, this one's really dumb now. Now that I've put all this, now that I've been tearing all ears apart, you're just gonna go, oh god. Uh, but in Cloverfield, <laughs> yeah, I know. I liked that um, the character of HUD, who uh, is controlling the camera for the movie, because his name's HUD, see what is extra shaky. Like I think most people hate that movie because it's so shaky it's just annoying but i think it's his character trait like he's an idiot like it's characterization as shown through poor camera movements which to me is a gimmick that's my number one i could do a line though i think we call that found footage kelly wand (sighs) i didn't i didn't do justice to this topic i want to hear your line yeah, what's your line from Cloverfield? Look okay, out, Cloverfield's shooting shit at us again. <laughs> Better run higher. <laughs> Very good. See, because HUD was dumb, so he would end sentences with that. And uh, what does HUD stand for? Uh, an- anabolistic underground dwellers. <laughs> yep, right, an attorney. <laughs> All right, Dingus, can you top that? Found footage, yeah. the conceit of found footage as Take seen. That, <laughs> I believe I can, and I have a quote from it as well, like Kelly does. All right. Huh. All right, here's the quote. I got a bad feeling about this, I tell you right now. Oh, God, <laughs> Star Wars, whatever. No, uh, it's Star Wars meets Fargo, it sounds like. <laughs> Fargo Wars. Uh, I don't, if Dingus ever says I got a bad feeling about this, I, I just got to assume he's doing some kind of hand solo thing. So no, that's bait. He wouldn't. They never finished with "I'll tell you right now." Mm. Obi Wan Kenobi wouldn't say that. I'll yeah, tell you right now. No, he yeah, didn't. he's the, the same guy who says "Blast!" I hate flying. That's totally he didn't hate flying when he's older. Too. That's another thing. On the old in the old trilogy, he didn't hate flying. He's a fucking ghost too. So why would he hate flying? That good point. Uh, Dingus, I don't think we know. This is another. Here's, an, here's another quote. Okay. Sir, we have a real world situation here. <laughs> you say it like that, Dingus. I can't help but go back to that line in uh, twenty or no, in uh, the day after tomorrow, where somebody is explaining to to Dennis Quaid that the, the Earth has reached a critical desalination point. <laughs> I remember in uh, in that movie Masterminds, the kid tells the cops, "We have a diehard situation here." And I thought, Die Hard One or Die Hard Two? Exactly. A yes, and two, you just the movie's ripping off Die Hard, and now you're just plugging like you're putting it in the dialogue, like yeah, it's, you know, whatever. All right, Dingus, we uh, the, these this clue is terrible. That's yeah, I assessment. agree. Do a uh, line. It's, 
it's really hard to tell this movie from lines, and I couldn't believe that I got the line. I got a bad feeling about this uh, out of this movie. Um, and watching it was really hard, and I really love this movie, but it's hard to watch it. And the gimmick is shaky cam, and the movie is United 93. Ah, uh, I don't remember the shaky cam, though. <laughs> Uh, all right, so I Just think like that, that um, <laughs> there's this verite pseudo-documentary style that Paul Greengrass does. He made such a splash with it. As far as I was concerned, when we we watched um, Bloody Sunday. Uh, and then, you know, for the rest of the world, uh, and alienating probably half of the world, um, it, it sort of reaches its popular apex, I guess, with... Uh, mm. With um, born supremacy, yeah, um, which a lot of people got really annoyed with, but it works so well here, and it just floors me um, how. And it, I didn't remember this because it, it's it's a hard movie to watch, as I said, and I don't watch it very often. But I've watched it a couple of times, and I watched it again this week, and it starts off much more stable than I remember it, and then it starts to get more and more. Uh, unmoored so that it starts to get more shaky cammed often like in meetings like there's this meeting with like the guy i i just said who says the the line i have a bad feeling about this is the guy who's in like the national air traffic controller station whatever that is i I didn't write that down and he goes into a meeting with his underlings while people are telling him there's a hijacking he says when you have some evidence come and get me and then i'll deal with it and the camera's kind of moving around. And Paul Greengrass does that. He, he just has this unmoored camera, and it works so well. And it's a little bit pervasive, which I think Tom was kind of working against with this. He wanted more specific things. Um, but as the movie goes on, this shaky cam becomes more and more pervasive and more and more effective. So there you go. Well, you know, I, I think to be fair, like he does get a lot of people ding the Bourne movies for his handheld shaky cam stuff. But I, I think... You know, Bloody Sunday was definitely shot to look like a documentary, and because of, and it was based on a true event, and he applies that same conceit to United 93 for good reason, of course. And I, I was glad you picked up on Dingus how it how it becomes increasingly unmoored because that's a great device. But I feel that what he doesn't get credit for in the born supremacy or born identity and supremacy um, is, uh, and I guess he also did it in Born Ultimatum, which I don't care for, uh, is that the, the camera's that way for a reason, and it, it's in a way to sort of reflect the main character's state of mind. Um, like, like it, it's there for, it's, it's a psychological gimmick as much as a camera gimmick. Uh, I feel like Paul Greengrass, it's not sloppy, he's very aware of it, and he uses it to intentional effect. Um, so, good pick, and, and uh, yeah, I think that's very fair. I love I love how he uses it in Born Supremacy. Let me just make that clear. Yeah. Um, a lot of people complained about that, but I think it's very effective for just the reasons you just say, Tom. Yeah. Um, it's just that I feel like it reaches its apex here in the United States. Yeah. And I'll be real interested to see if Tony Gilroy, because he's doing, he's the guy who wrote the, the previous Bourne movies, and he's directing the next one with Jeremy Renner. I'll be curious to see if he carries through with that. Like, will he use that gimmick as well? Because it is, it's such a signature thing for Paul Greengrass. Uh, so we'll see what happens in the next Bourne movie. All right, should reboot the next Bourne movie with Jeremy Renner. Like reboot the new one with Jeremy Renner with Jeremy Renner. Mm, how would that work, Kelly Wand? 
that's that's not your job. You just think of the the concept, and then they have to execute it. Yeah. yeah, I got the easy part. So here's my number one that I think you ruined, Kelly Wand. I'm not sure because I don't know the name of it. Uh, I've seen this in a few movies, and I'm sure it definitely predates this movie. But I'm going to give you you guys a line. You ready for this? Uh, Let me try to get my voice right. It's, I imagine that I have a sexy voice. Here we go. Chief Brody, you are a You've I'm stepped on my line. I'm sorry. Do it again. <laughs> Here we go. Let me do it. Chief Brody, you are uptight. <laughs> it's not sexy coming from her. Come on. Are you serious? Lorraine? No. Lorraine Gary? What's her name? Yeah. Come on. She's awesome. She looks like a real like wife of a police detective. I love her. You can I, love that. That, I love that the moment you mentioned Chief Brody, I see the shot you're talking about in the yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. That's Glad great. I didn't close. even think of that. That's perfect. So the camera technique, and and again, I, I I'm sure this is. I actually thought Dingus was going to bring this up because I can't imagine that you know Orson Welles didn't do it at some point. And good lord, I'm sure Hitchcock must have done it a few times. But the idea is that the camera itself physically moves on a dolly in towards the actor, while the actual lens is zooming out. Uh-huh. So there's this weird sensation that the world is like shrinking. The actor stays the same size, but the world stretches out around him, and it looks really funky. And again, it only happens once in Jaws, and it's at a pivotal moment where uh, where Brody is on the beach. He knows that he thinks there's been a shark attack. You know, he wants the beaches closed, but he's there just to keep an eye on things. And there's, you know, Spielberg does this cool stuff where he's looking out at the water and a. Uh, person will pass in front of him and basically wipe the camera and when the person has moved in front of him the shot is tighter like they're playing around with him being on edge and and freaking out at some of the things that he's seen that he thinks a shark attack you know and he is uptight but when he finally sees that that just horrifying shot of the Kentner boy being killed with these fins, these big old fins turning over in the water and the boy thrashing around and blood in the water like that's such a quick sharp short image but I remember as a kid that being seared on my brain, and then it goes to Brody with that weird effect where the world stretches out around him. Uh, now, Kelly, one is that called rack focus? Is that what that yes. is? Yes. Ah, yeah. I didn't know it had a name. All right. Well, of course it had a name. I didn't know the name. I uh, think of it as a Brian De Palma thing for some reason, but yours is perfect. Yeah, he does it too. Like I couldn't. I, I'm trying to. Like I know I've seen that sort of thing. I just couldn't remember other specific moments because that, to me, is where it is is used. I, that's where I saw it first, first of all, and was aware of it. And it's just used to such great effect in, in that that moment. So I, rack, like I, I can saw it, it, and... I can feel it causing vertigo in my head just thinking about it. That's you know so what? Weird. Dingus and I bet he used it. Hitchcock used it in Vertigo. Now that you said that, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Uh, but yeah, oh. it is this weird disorienting effect, like you're falling almost. Yeah. It was supposedly first used in the 1968 motorcycle film The Savage Seven by director Richard Rush. Wow, you have all this knowledge at your fingertips, Kelly. Oh, I'm good. a big fan of that movie, and I'm a biker. <laughs> I have a motorcycle. So I, I watch all the movies based on... they have anything to do with any appliance or vehicle I own. I watch every movie. Did you see the finale of, of uh, Walking Dead, by the way? No. All right. Yeah, I, just, I don't want to talk about it, but just cool motorcycle moment. When you say cool motorcycle stuff, there's a great motorcycle shot. Are you being facetious? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I hate that show. But there's one brief scene involving uh, Norman Reedus on a motorcycle that is one of the most, like, I, I mean, how many hours have there been of Walking Dead? But it's certainly the most arresting image I've seen in, in that show. 
Dude, uh, the river is the biggest piece of shit ever. And well, duh. Why are you still watching that? I'm not, but a guy comes into work and goes, dude, still keeps not getting good. <laughs> you still wa- you're still watching it. Like two hours of it wasn't enough. And then a, there's another, a camera like, gimmick. Right. Go and then a, a lady type was watching it, and I go, why do you watch it? Like, why do you like it? Because I'm baffled. And she goes, well, I just got to watch everything of that genre to support it. And I went, What? <laughs> That's the stupidest fucking reason I've ever heard. I couldn't believe it. Like anything. Supernatural, great. So uh, runners up for camera tricks that are not on TV shows. Oh, by the way, so I want to, uh, speaking of Oren Pelly, Kelly Wand, uh, there was a trailer for Chernobyl Diaries in front of uh, 21 Jump Street for me. Did you guys watch that or see that? Uh-uh. I didn't what? I didn't. I was watching it. It's apparently something. So after Paranormal Activity, Oren Pelly did the first Paranormal Activity. Since then, he's been producing some movies and awful TV shows. Uh, but he's also producing. He his next project was supposed to be, I think, a found footage movie about these kids who go into Area 51 and something happens. And it just sounded terrible. But apparently, uh-huh. I think this has morphed into kids going into Chernobyl. And something and something supernatural happening, and that Oren Pelly. Yeah. It seems very dumb. Oren Pelly didn't direct it, uh, but it's called Chernobyl Diaries, and he's producing it. So I'm wondering, and, and it's not found footage. So I'm wondering if his Area 51 thing morphed into a Chernobyl thing that was handed over to. to Why some, is Chernobyl some... better than Area 51? That seems like a way. Well, they had a they had a minor mishap there uh, several years ago. You see. Huh? Yeah, yeah, but I don't want to see footage of. Wait, so the kids going to get irradiated on purpose? We well, watch? you know, there's there are these actually there's a uh, some like tourists will go into Chernobyl, uh, and there there's there's some great uh, a woman who like rode a motorcycle around Chernobyl and took photography and set up all these great pictures on a website. Like so, like uh, the the images from Chernobyl are actually pretty arresting. Uh, because of how they evacuated it, uh, you know, it's just—it's been dead for what? What is it? 10, 15 years. Um, but it's like the half-life, something like. The idea is that you want to have a Geiger counter. There are certain areas you don't go to. Uh, you don't stay for very long, of course. Uh, <laughs> and then you still die. Well, according to this horror movie, there's also ghosts there. I think. Oh, Jesus. Wait, but, but kid, you know, kid, kids, kids smoke cigarettes, so why wouldn't they go there? Yeah, because uh, yeah. they're going to get caught. They're going to get busted there. <laughs> the cops don't go there. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So uh, runners up for camera tricks. Jaws has a good rack focus. I think is a good runner up. So I've heard. Yes. Oh. Uh, there's another trick. I don't. I don't even think this has a name. But I've always liked this. And the the shot I identify with it with is from Reanimator, where uh, Jeffrey Combs, when when his character uh, Herbert West, I think, is introduced, he he knocks on the door and the door opens. And this is a great way to like introduce a character. The camera sort of dollies in towards him from a low angle and tilts up. Like I, I love just that sort of stereotypical. Hey, look at this badass character coming onto the scene shot uh i don't think there's a name for that though does this count as a camera gimmick in dead alive where the chick screams in close-up and then a zombie hand comes out of her mouth because you realize it's she wasn't a re- it's you've been watching like a, a puppet scream and then the, the hand's real does it count as a camera trick when a camera flies through a bullet in a body hole in the quick and the dead yes okay that's sam raimi too isn't it yeah yeah, but Sergio Leone did that too, I think. Ah, okay. Very good, Kelly Wand. I think. 
Sam Raimi loves his camera gimmicks. He's good with them. Yeah. Dingus, I really wanted to get Cash in there, that uh, that Michael Haneke movie. But I don't know that it's a camera gimmick so much as the movie's weird conceit. Yeah, I, I don't know that I could make that work. Tango and Cash had no gimmicks. <laughs> it was all totally original. Uh, here's something I hate. This is a non-runner-up. Mm. Runner-down. What? Uh, crane shots. Oh, uh, that's so, Spielberg and Hook kind of stuff, right? No, that's anybody. Anytime I see a crane shot in a movie, I immediately think, oh, so they decided... Douchebag with a crane. No, I immediately think, oh, so they decided they were going to budget to get a crane for a day and <laughs> do a shot. Because yeah. I think of there's a there's a New York filmmaker named Larry Fessenden, uh, and he did a really, really cool movie called uh, Windigo. Uh, and I love Windigo. If you're into obscure, weird, cool horror movies, I recommend Windigo. But during the commentary track on it once, uh, they have a crane shot. Windigo is about a family that goes to a vacation house. Pretty straightforward. Uh, and during a, there's one point where there's a crane shot of the outside of the house, and the characters walk upstairs, and the camera's on a crane, and it moves from a shot of the outside of the house to a shot of the outside of the second story of the house. And in the commentary track, Larry Fessenden says something like, well, we had a crane, and I didn't know what else to do with it. You know, it was part of the budget. We had it for that day, so this, there's this shot. <laughs> so I just think of that whenever I see some obvious crane shot in, in a movie. Um yeah, well, I think I do too. Well, I agree when it comes to Shawshank Redemption, um, but I disagree uh, when it comes to something like, and uh, please forgive me, Kelly Wands, there's one of my favorite shots is the crane shot near the end of Vineyard. Well, that's not uh, a crane, Dingus. That that made my runner up. Uh, do, do you know? I thought I thought you told me that was a crane because so, I, I was I was just knocked out by that shot, and I thought you said, well, somebody just got a crane that. Well, wait, wait. I'm thinking of a different. There's a shot of Vinyan of a woman of her running through the woods, and they put the camera on a zip line. Like there's a crazy zip line uh. shot in Vinyan that maybe I'm thinking of some. Maybe there's a. Uh, you might be thinking of something. We might be thinking of different things. I think we are. I think okay. th- there, there's a moment where the camera just goes up and over. That uh, that is clearly a crane shot. Right, right. Well, you know, and, and I should say, yeah, I'm with things. I don't hate all crane shots. Uh, you know, there needs to be a reason for it, or it needs to do something cool. And it, I just think of Larry Fessenden basically confessing, "Yeah, we had a crane that day." So actually, <laughs> it's the best crane shot if you think about it, because it kind of taps into what you're talking about. Is in the stunt man where Peter O'Toole very on nice crane. crane. And it's like, <laughs> I have a superfluous crane that can just follow you home and kind of swoop down and go, hey. That's very good, Kelly Wand. Yep. So there you go. Uh, there the is, I wonder how often this is done. Uh, there's a great shot in 28 Weeks Later with a little remote control helicopter with the camera suspended beneath the helicopter as it flies along. When and that's the early shot when Robert Carlyle's running away from from the cottage after it's overrun. He's running across a field to a boat, a, a little dock, and there's a there's just a little remote control helicopter flying around overhead. Uh, I, I love that shot. Um, all right, other runners up. Yep. My only runner up, and I don't know that this really qualifies as a camera gimmick so much as just a director's choice, and it's uh, uh, this moment in Reservoir Dogs. That everybody remembers is the bloodiest moment uh, when uh, the ear gets cut off, but the camera just drifts to the corner and looks at nothing. No, you see it. You see the ear being cut off and the razor blade going through. I vividly remember that in my head, Dingus. Oh, uh, you're right. 
Uh, but when you were talking about split screen, there's also a great obvious split screen shot. Oh, wait, hold, hold that thought, because, I mean, that, that's a great point about Reservoir Dogs, because everybody, because he does the coy thing where the camera goes away, it's completely in your imagination, and you are right. vividly imagining what goes on. So when you think back to that scene, you're like, oh, no, I you know, I totally remember exactly seeing what that looked like and the razor blade in the ear. No, that was gory. And, uh, you know, to Why not show, show it, though. Because it's more that, powerful having you imagine it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but then you and can that always was so great because there was such an uproar about what a bloody movie it is. And he's like, <laughs> it's just a talk fest. And that, that, that moment, that moment where everybody was complaining about, it's an obvious moment where he just goes, this is what we're looking at. Now we're looking at the corner of the room, <laughs> a ceiling. And I, I love, love that. that moment. That is great. Yeah. Well, why don't you just show the whole movie from the corner? Kelly, why do you have a. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, why, you Career as a cinematographer. I like it. <laughs> and a movie titler. Uh, all right. So uh, that's Runners Up. Our three by three next week. Kelly Wand, what do you got for us? Ha ha. Have I got one for you? <laughs> uh, well, we all know um, that uh, the best James Bond movie, everyone's favorite, is Octopussy. And we can all remember the. Classic, iconic bit in Octopussy where the uh, camel does a double take as James Bond heroically but covertly jumps a fruit cart using another fruit cart. And the camel sees that and he's all, what? So what I'd like from you in the keeping of that, wait, in the vein of that, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what words mean, sorry, <laughs> are the three best reactions or reaction shots? In movies ever. All right, pretty straightforward. And th- these can be uh, reactions, can be spit takes. They can be expressions. They can be lines. And they can be from camels. You're saying? <laughs> yeah. How about a llama? Oh, was that what I'm thinking of? <laughs> no, I'm just sure they're a great reaction take. Llamas look kind of like camels in that they have this perpetually what kind of look on their face. Oh so. uh, yeah, that's racist. But also, um. <laughs> In that movie, Meryl Streep, when a dingo eats her baby, she's reacting by saying, a dingo ate my baby. So that could be on your list. I'm not taking that off. It's not taken off the table. All right. So our favorite reactions or reaction shots, that'll be our three by three next week. Or the dingo's reaction to eating the baby. All right. And we will be seeing the Hunger, is it just games? It's Hunger Games, right? And is it the Hunger Games? (sighs) What? I don't know this stuff. And is there a colon? Like book one, the no. magic Hunger Games. Book one, the magic goblet of of Shut up. Of <laughs> Zarnia. You're a fucking idiot. The, the Hunger <laughs> Colon Games. Hate you people. I can't see this book as a movie, but I am because I'm a fan of the literature. Well, we'll find out if you can next week, won't we? Is Wendy joining us? Uh, so Wendy is Dingus's wife, uh, who I think is also looking forward to Hunger Games. These these books have a, quite a following, and I, I am elated to say, and nobody tell me if I'm wrong, but I know nothing about this movie, and I'm kind of assuming it's about superheroes. That, I, don't, I don't want to know. Shut up. Shut up. Don't tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't even want to know. Uh, so uh, join us for that next week and our 3x3 three three of our favorite reactions and reaction shots. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian... Mar Mar Marlans Mar yeah Marlansky. It's Christian Morosky. Mm, sure. Yeah, that's what I said. And 
Kelly Wand. Uh, cool crossover, The Born Idiocracy. <laughs> Laying me out. I like this song, Tom. Thank you. What is he doing? Because these are good lyrics, too. I didn't know Tom. I didn't know Tom sang. Doesn't this remind you guys of your high school proms? I didn't go to prom. Ah, I almost didn't go to prom. I, I ended up going. Did you bring? Did you go to prom? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be prom <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wand, was Ellie Klemp- Klempnerer at your prom? I wish. <laughs> Time to pay the pipe. I should pay who? <laughs> Ellie Kemper. Oh. If you like podcasts, feel free to subscribe to our newsletter at at symbol www.com forward slash colon ht forward slash nothing. And that's the end of Act 2.